Mr. and Mrs. Boone. That's my nickname for Daniel. Mr. Boone. Daniel Boone. I love you very much. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, if you would. And after that, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll look in that order. Luke chapter 8, 1 Thessalonians 4. We uh, want to start our Sunday night services. We need just a few more nursery workers. Brother Tim alluded to that. And we want to have a few testimonies along the way. I want to have one right now. I've asked Paula to uh, come and share. So we'll use this mic right here, Jeff, on the pulpit. And just share an encouraging word about uh, the nursery. Uh, Years ago, decades ago, uh, we... (laughs) Paula coordinated the nursery, so she's kind of been on... uh, both sides of the fence, not just serving in the nursery, but also organizing it. And uh, she did that for a long time. So she understands all of the inner workings of that. So I've asked her just to share uh, some things about that to encourage you and let you know the blessing about that. Okay, honey? Um, <clears throat> I'm not the preacher in the family, but um, 
I'm going to attempt to tie together something I read this morning. I've, I've got a great boss, and she sends me a copy of the Daily Bread every morning. And she sent this to me this morning, and when I was thinking about what I was going to say, I read this, and I hope I can draw the correlation between this story and, and what I want to share with you. I'm just going to read part of it. A marine biologist was swimming near the Cook Islands in the South Pacific when a 50,000-pound humpback whale suddenly appeared and tucked her under its fin. The woman thought her life was over, but after swimming slowly in circles, the whale let her go. It's then that the biologist saw a tiger shark leaving the area. The woman believes that the whale had been protecting her, keeping her from danger. In a world of danger, we're called to watch out for others. But you might ask yourself, should I really be expected to be responsible for someone else? Or as in Cain's words, am I my brother's keeper? And I started thinking about that. I started thinking the fact that when we watch the children in the nursery, we are technically at that time being their keeper so that their parents, their mom and dad, can sit under the service and listen to something encouraging from God's Word. Um, When I was younger and had all those little kids, um, I remember sometimes coming to church and thinking, whew, I get to sit down for just an hour or two or however long, um, and just relax for a few minutes without having to be pulled at, tugged That's at. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then remember those times when I was a nursery coordinator coming in and the person who was supposed to keep that uh, slot that particular time, they didn't show. And so I got all dressed, dressed all my kids, came to church, and sat in the nursery. And then it might happen again the next week or Sunday night or two weeks later. And I found, and Rick will remember, I found I was getting up, coming to church and sitting in the nursery sometimes three or four times in the month. And I would get discouraged. And I thought, I might as well just stay home and quit going through all the effort of getting ready to go. But I knew that wouldn't encourage anybody else. I say that, and I know that's a little negative, Um, to encourage you, when it's your time to be there, be there, if at all possible, show up. Um, Now I work at a job where I'm responsible for children once again, and when the people don't show up, guess who has to go back and be there? Me. But the thing is, is I changed my mind at some point. I forget, I don't remember when it was, but at some point my mind changed that, ugh, This was after I was done being the nursery coordinator. Oh, it's my time to be in the nursery. I don't really want to be in the nursery today. But God spoke to my heart. Okay, you have an opportunity. (laughs) You're going to like this. To be that humpback whale and (laughs) protect those children during that time. And be there and, and have an encouragement or have an effect in their lives. And, and when God did that change in my life or that change in my heart, it was no longer, ugh, i got to go be in the nursery today. But I get to be in the nursery today. I get to watch these children for an hour, hour and a half, however long it takes. So these parents can be in the service and hear you God's get to word be in church. And, and get something for their heart. You get to be heart. in church. <clears throat> you get to be in church, yes. And you get to be in church and hear. So... My encouragement is this. If you're already staying in the nursery, be there when you're supposed to be there so that Kate and Melinda don't end up being in there three or four times out of the month so that they can sit in the service and be encouraged. So be faithful. And if you're not staying in the nursery, if everybody would help, you may only have to stay in there one time in six weeks. One time. And, and think about that time that you get to be in there, that you get to be an encouragement, and you get to be a protector, and you get to invest in the lives of children, which is incredible. You get to sing in their little ears and just love on them for that time period and, let, and be a significant other in their lives. And I, I saw Zach Moody walking this morning. I looked at him and thought how tall he was, and I remember keeping Zach in the nursery. I mean, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to get to do that. So I encourage you, if you're not, sign up. Thank you so much, Paul. That was really a good testimony. Most of it, it was really good. 
I appreciate Paula and, and so many of you that that serve in that area. It makes a big difference. It, it's a ministry, and uh, you will receive great rewards in heaven for that. So, thank you so much. Uh, we'll look in Luke 18 in just a moment. I want to talk to you this morning about the rapture of the church. Again, we're nearing the end of of this uh, theme here in First Thessalonians chapter four. This uh, season that we're in, and it is indeed a season that really began, I suppose, before March, but it really hit us kind of in, in this area and the southeast really in early March. But I've been thinking about this. Uh, Tim and Daniel and I talked about this earlier in the week, that it has affected us uh, nationally more than we realize. And maybe people understand that it has, but I think people don't understand the depth and breadth that it has affected them. It is kind of a negative synergism. It's not just one event, but there are two or three events, some of them that have spawned from that. Certainly the financial issue, uh, the stresses caused by that. But all of the, the synergistic effects that are, that are negative... And God works through those things. But they bring stress in our lives. And that uh, those of you that have been to doctor's offices or they may be other places, maybe where you work, where they have to take your, your temperature. Um, recently I went somewhere and uh, I don't know, the, the silly gene just got turned on. And so sometimes I can kind of spot somebody that's kind of fun. Sometimes I miss it. That's not a good thing. And uh, it was a little 22-year-old lady there. And she said, well, i got to take your temperature. And I said, she said, can it take your temperature? I said, well, does it hurt? She had that little thing that looks like a gun. She said, no, it doesn't hurt. I said, are you sure? She said, no. So she put it up there, and I said, ah! <laughs> and uh, she jumped back, and I said, oh, I'm just messing with you. And, um, but if you could take a, our temperature emotionally I thought about that emotionally uh, what would what would register well there's a lot of things I, I'm just going to suggest some things this morning uh, anger cynicism hopelessness hatred fear there's a lot of fear out there a lot of fear and I kind of want to uh, stop on fear. I want to talk not about fear, but something that, that comes out of that. The opposite of fear is courage. And if we're going to, to face what we're going through, we're going to have to have some courage. God doesn't want us to be fearful people. Well, how, how, do, we, how do we become courageous people when the odds are against us? Well, there's a story in the Bible. Jesus told stories. Sometimes uh, there's a movement in, in preaching today that says, well, don't tell stories. Don't, you don't want to tell stories. Well, Jesus couldn't have preached here. Jesus told a lot of stories. He was a master storyteller. And he told a story. It's called a parable. And uh, it was about a lady. It was a widow lady. And when you were a widow, you, you went bankrupt because your husband didn't have any money. The women couldn't work in those days. And so she had a lot of debt. And so she took her, her cause to court. And we don't understand everything that was happening. And so she went to this judge. And she said, here's my need. And she began to plead her need. And he said, no, that's not going to go. You're going to have to pay the debt or here's the ruling is against you. Well, she was a pesky lady and a pesty lady. And she just stayed after it and stayed after it. The Bible calls it importunity. And she just stayed by the stuff until finally the judge just gave up and said, okay, okay. All right. I will rule for you. And Jesus took that story and he gave us a lesson on prayer but at the end of the lesson on prayer, he said something very interesting. I want you to look at that, and you may want to mark it in Luke chapter 18 and verse 7. 
I didn't read the whole parable because of time. But in Luke 18 and verse 7, here's a summary of the lesson that he gave. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. That's in regard to your importunity in prayer. Just keep on praying. Keep on praying. Don't quit. And notice this this last statement here. Don't bypass this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, this is speaking about the return of Christ to the earth. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? When Jesus returns, shall he find faith on the earth? And the idea here is that it takes faith to keep on knocking. I'm not going to quit. God, I'm going to keep asking. It takes faith to keep asking. When you stop asking, you've given up. You don't believe anymore. And so he says, when Jesus comes... In the last days, will faith diminish until when he comes? Is there going to be any faith? And I think that he speaks here not only of the diminishing of our faith in God, but also of the faith. Spoken of in Jude in verse 3, when the Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? That's not your personal faith, but uh, the Christian faith, the faith of Christianity, which is the core doctrines of faith. The cardinal doctrines, what we call the fundamentals of the faith. The basic doctrines that a person has to believe to be a Christian. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find your faith? Will he find my faith? Will he find the faith on the earth? Will will there be people that believe in the deity of Christ? When they believe that the word of God is true and inerrant without error, will it be the authority on a person's life? And in the culture, that there is an absolute standard in the world. Will they believe that? And so forth. These things are so watered down today. They're watered down in Bible colleges and seminary as well. Notice the characteristics of our culture in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. You see this. This is so easily to see. Notice this. Isaiah 5, 20. Isaiah says, Woe, W-O-E, which is judgment. It's a pronouncement of judgment. Woe unto them that call evil good. Do you see that today? But notice the opposite. And call good evil. If you try to do good, they, they call you the scoundrel. They call you the troublemaker. That put darkness for light. They elevate darkness and say, This is the standard. And light for darkness. And he continues the picture with, with uh, the truth with pictures. And that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And the whole idea is he's taking that these extremes that are not at all alike. And it says there's been a reversal of them. This is, this is our culture. Because when there's a rejection of truth, people are confused, they're deceived, and there is no fixed compass. Now, Friendship Baptist Church and and other churches that believe the Bible have a fixed compass. And it's not the church, it's not the preacher, it's the Word of God. Amen? This is what we believe. It's not the pastor. It's not the church that speaks ex-cathedra. It is the Word of God. It's what the Bible teaches. This is our standard. This is what we believe. This is our our compass. It is a fixed compass. It doesn't change. If Jesus doesn't come in 100 years, this is still the compass. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your grandchildren. This is the Word of God. G.K. Chesterton, a philosopher and writer of yesteryear, he said something interesting. I I've said this to my kids and a few of you in in the last six months, but I found it in his own words. He said it better than I did. But here's what he said. This is where we are today. Listen to this. We shall soon be in a world in which a man be howled or mocked, howled down for saying that two and two make four, 
in which people will persecute the heresy. He's being sarcastic here. Will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure and hang a man for maddening a mob with the news that the grass is green. Are we there? Oh, yes. I mean, the most, the most basic areas. Well, what is that? That's a boy. What is that? That's a girl. Oh, no, you can't tell them that. You know, we could say, well, the culture is confused. And I know that this is on live stream, but here goes. No, they're stupid. There's no confusion. The, the little kids are confused now. But the people that are teaching this, they're just stupid. There are some think two and two is four. A triangle has three sides and the grass is green unless you're colorblind and you haven't seen it. And, and this, is, this is where we are today. And, and here's where I'm going at. I'm talking to you as, as God's people that if you believe in absolutes, in a world that doesn't believe in absolutes, then to stand for these absolutes, you cannot be a coward. You're going to need some courage. And you're going to, to be faithful, you need faith. You're going to have to stand for something. So what is the pathway to courage? How do I keep this, this negative synergism from wearing out my faith to where I, I'm just sick of this. And it's one thing to be weary of sin. But it's another thing to be weary of, of your faith in God. And church don't get that way. Now, now let me give you the key and then we'll get into the text here. Here's the truth we're going to look at from our passage. Listen. Anticipating the rapture gives a person courage and hope. I believe that. When you anticipate the rapture, it gives you courage because courage comes from hope. When you begin to lose your hope, you lose your courage. Well, just whatever. That's why discouraged people, they, they give up easily. They've lost their hope. When we lose hope, we lose our courage, we lose our joy. But hope restores Courage and joy. Hopeful people are joyful people. It doesn't mean everything is going good. But it means they have hope for a better day. And it doesn't mean, again, I've taught you this wishful thinking. The word hope in the Bible means an expectation. This is going to happen. I expect this to happen. My, uh, You may have seen me doing some odd things and say. While Paula was up here, I was sitting over here uh, li- trying to listen to her. And uh, I was worried about that chair falling down. One time I sat over there and Andy had to fix it. The, he, you did fix it, didn't you, Andy? It was, they said, man, that chair is about to fall over. I thought about it when I sat over there. But you may have seen me moving a little bit. My, my arm is just absolutely killing me. And so I'm supposed to go in Tuesday and get it fixed. I've got some some back trouble, which, which goes back a long way, and it's, it's just really, really bad. So when I went in on uh, Thursday or Friday, whenever it was, and so they got me in, they gave me a date in October, which was a month out. I stood there before the lady, and I said, oh, I said, ma'am, the scheduler, I said, I, I, can, I don't think I can make it, I don't think I can make it a month. And I learned that if, you, if you're kind to somebody and you learn their name, not to manipulate people, but to be kind to them. She had a, a little name badge on there. And I said, "My, I, I've got to make a trip, and I can't come during this week. That I could come that week in a month, but I need you to bump it up. My sister's very sick. I need to go see her. I can't travel like this. I, I really need some help. And so she said, well, hold on for a minute. And so she worked it around. She said, well, how about Tuesday morning? Well, my heart sang. And understand something, I was hurting. And I told Paula this morning, I said, my, my arm hurts so bad. And it's hurting now. 
But on the way to church, I said, okay, just two more days. <laughs> just two more days, baby. They're going to fix this thing, at least treat the symptom for a while. They're not going to fix the, the whole thing. But I have hope. Boy, when you lose hope, and listen, some people live in pain perpetually. Boy, I love these people. You know, sometimes folks have a little pain, and maybe mine's a little compared to other people. But they live in that perpetually, and they're so gracious. But you need to have hope. When Jesus died on the cross, listen, he didn't just give us a home in heaven to keep us out of hell. But listen, he redeemed us from a broken world one day, from broken relationships, from a broken heart, and from a broken body. We get all of this in the package. Forgiveness of sin, a clear conscience, a home in heaven, my restored relationship so I can know the creator of the world, God, and all of these broken places and broken things. He's going to restore these things. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at it with me. It talks about the rapture. Look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That is, those Christians that have died before you. That you sorrow not. Don't, don't sorrow as others which have no hope. It's okay to grieve, but don't grieve without hope. And here's the first question we answered. Who will be in the rapture? Who's going to go up in the rapture? Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There's the gospel. Have you trusted that Jesus died for you? That he rose again for you? It's not about being a church member. It's not about being confirmed. It's about trusting Christ as your personal Savior. And if you're not a Christian, if you've not been born again, you're not going to go up in the rapture. You'll be left behind. You know, some people, they read this and, and, and they mock and they're skeptical. And they say, well, I don't know about that. Well, one day you will know about it and you'll be left behind. I told you several weeks ago when I was preaching, this place will be packed. My office Tim's office, Daniel's, all of our stuff, it'll be ransacked. There'll be people looking for things. Dare I say, even by people in our church, looking for some hope, looking for some notes. What does the Bible teach about this? Years ago, when I was in my 20s, a guy used to sell these. He may still sell them, I don't know. But you know these things that you break in case of fire? It's got a little thing, and, and you know, you can pull the lever. Well, they had a little glass, and they had a little wooden case, and they had a little, kind of a little hammer there. And real, it was well done, and in paint, it said, in case of rapture. And you were supposed to put it in your house. Anybody see those things? Okay, yeah. And you were supposed to break it, and inside of it told people what happened and how they could be saved. But now the Bible teaches in 2 Thessalonians, if you have heard a clear presentation of the gospel and you've rejected Christ, that you believe a lie. You'll, you'll not have a desire to be saved. Don't be left behind. Trust Jesus. Put your faith in him today. The second question is what will happen in the rapture? First of all, the saints that have died will go first. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed or go before them which are asleep. People that have died will have preference, precedence in the rapture. For the Lord himself shall descend with heaven with a shout. Here's the second thing that will happen in the rapture. The saints that died will go first. Christ will shout. And then... The archangel will speak. We talked about that last week. And then thirdly, and with the trump of God, and with the trump of God, the trumpet will sound. There are those three sounds. Christ will shout, the archangel will speak, and the trumpet will sound. I don't have time to review those other things. People are interested in 
in the signs of the rapture, Vance Habner said, I'm not looking for signs or, or, or studying signs. I'm listening for sounds. And only Christians will hear these things. Unbelievers will not hear them. Well, let's talk this morning a little bit about the trumpet, the trumpet that will sound. Trumpets were important in the nation of Israel. They were used for very important events. They had uh, several types of trumpets. First, they had kind of a classical trumpet. didn't look exactly like ours. It was maybe a little bit more rough-hewn. They were uh, silver trumpets, the Bible says in the Old Testament. Then they had these long trumpets that they used uh, kind of in the Greek Olympic Games that were mentioned. In fact, that's the reference here for the word trumpet there. It's the same Greek word that was used in, in the Olympic Games. Then they had uh, shofar horns. Brother Scott got this from Israel. Brother Tim brought it in this morning. Now, I'm not going to blow this because I don't know how to blow it in the first place. But it was something like this that in the wilderness... They would use this when Moses, and also they had um, silver trumpets in the wilderness that they made with one piece. Uh, it's been fun to study about these trumpets. But they would, they would use these to do certain things I'll share with you in just a moment. And uh, could make quite a sound. As you see, it's a, it's a ram's horn. I would get Brother Tim to come up here and put it on, but we'll, we will not, will not do that this morning. Because I love him so much. But I don't love Daniel. Daniel could come up. <laughs> now what were these trumpets for? First of all, they, they made an announcement. We'll look at this in a moment. They made announcements. Secondly, they, they called an assembly. And sometimes the assembly was to come together for a journey. And the third thing, primary thing that the... Uh, trumpet did was to declare a war and i'm classifying the shofar as a trumpet because the bible did so the silver trumpet or that type of a trumpet let me show you how the trumpet was used for an announcement before god gave the ten commandments uh, right before moses went up to mount sinai the nation of israel god told them to use a trumpet to announce that something very important was going to happen Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. And this is the Mount of Sinai right before God gave the law to Moses. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Obviously not just the trumpet but the, but, you know, the thick cloud over the mountain. Something was happening. So that all the people was in the camp trembled, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. And here it is, to meet with God. It was an announcement for them to meet with God because he was going to give the law to Moses. They stood at the nether part of the mount. Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke, and the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the people saw this from a distance. The smoke there ascended as a smoke of a fire. And the whole mount quaked greatly. So there was an earthquake. You get the picture here? And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by voice. So here is a trumpet in the Old Testament that God is using to make an announcement. And at the rapture, he's making an announcement to us. I told you, what is the, what is the angel or, or what is Jesus going to say? Uh, he's going to say, come home, come up here, and he's going to say your name. I taught you that, I believe that. And he's making an announcement, it's over, come home. Again, uh, when they went into the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 10, notice in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver. So this is another type of trumpet of a whole piece Shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them, what's the purpose? For the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. So I want to use a trumpet to call together. Uh, the word church means ecclesia, to call out, to call together, 
because you're fixing to go on a journey. So the purpose of the trumpet was to say, hey, we're leaving camp. We're going on a journey. And that's what the rapture is. And God's just using this, this trumpet as he did in the Old Testament. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now like this one, same chapter, Numbers chapter 10. Notice in verse 9. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. The trumpet was an instrument that let the people know that, hey, it's time to attack. It's time that, that war is at hand. And if you go into Numbers chapter 31 and other places in the Bible, you see where they did this. And perhaps when I taught you on the voice of the archangel, because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, but against powers and the prince of the powers and, and high places. And that's his domain in high places. Could it be as, as Satan fought over the body of Moses and the book of Jude? And Michael the archangel said, I, I rebuke you that Satan and his demons will try to fight us in, in his domain. I mean, Christ's death and resurrection, he, uh, the devil is conquered. Maybe they'll remind him of that. They won't have to do that. Because in Colossians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, there's so much here. If you go to war in your land, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. You shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Now, notice this next purpose of a trumpet. Also in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets. A trumpet was an announcement of, of a celebration. Man, you're going home. There's no more burdens. There's no more problems. We're going to celebrate. It's a time of celebration. And you see from, from the Old Testament how that God used trumpets in the life of the nation of Israel. That it's a template or a picture that when, and the Bible calls it God's trumpet, the trumpet of the Lord. As we sang this morning, and I'll show you the scripture, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound for God's purposes, and these are his purposes, that he's fulfilling some of these things. In fact, all of these things that I read to you as we go to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. I, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Everybody's not going to die. People didn't know that before. But everybody's going to be changed. Every Christian will be changed. The Bible says in a moment, the Greek word is A-T-O-M-O-S, atomus. We get the word atom from it. it it's the smallest amount of time possible. It's not the, the blinking of an eye. It, it is the smallest amount of time possible. And by the way, all of these things happen in that atom of time where Christ will speak, the archangel will speak, and Christ's shout is a command, and then the trumpet will sound. It's not like, you know, bang, 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 where there'll be a period of time. It will be in God's time, but we're limited to understand this. It's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now pay attention to this. At the last trump... For well, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed at the last trump. Now, that's the last trump for us. Maybe he's talking about the church there. But there are some trumpets in, in the book of Revelation after the church has been raptured. So there will be more trumpets. I was reading about this, and, and uh, I discovered that when a man went on watch in the military and he was out guarding the camp, that the first trump was used to let him know your, your watch is starting. You need to be on guard. You need to be attentive. That's the first trump. The first trump is... And by the way, the trumpet issued the, a, a trump, okay? And the word trump in... 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 means uh, 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 to, to quiver. And it refers to the instrument, but also refers to the reverberation, the sound. And so the, the last trump there is the opposite of the first trump. Well, the guard was out there, or he's going out there, and he heard that first, okay, I've got to be attentive. His muscles were taut. He was on edge a little bit. You know how it is. Some of you guys that have had to do this in the military, nothing happens for a year and a half, but it only takes one time. So you, you have to be at your very best, the height of all of your senses, and, and you're worn out. But then there's a second trump that goes to let you know your guard duty is over, and that's called the last trump. And the last trump signals to that man, your labor is over, you can go back to your place of rest. And that's why the writer said that he uses this figure of speech at the last trump. And the word there is used where theologians call the doctrine of last things eschatology. That's the word for last, where we get eschatology from. The last, the last trump. It's a, it's a trump of rest, a trump of your, your duties are over. You have new duties in heaven, but duties that require exertion, fatigue. The trump of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. God's usage of the trump for His purposes to call us to Himself and for His glory. Are you ready to hear that? One day you're going to hear it. If you're saved, you'll hear it. Even if you're not ready, if you're, if you're away from God, you're going to hear that. And maybe you're saved, but you're not ready. One day, those of you that are going through some adversity right now, God's trying to put something in you as you go through it. One day that will be over. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now, presently, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness. Are you in heaviness? Through manifold temptations. Manifold just means multiple types of trials. And, and we're going through some of that now. That the trial of your faith, the testing, take heart, get hope from this. Get some courage from this. And this trial is much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, that you might be found unto praise and honor, how you respond in this trial. And glory, look at this, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So when he comes, that, that I've been courageous through this, and that I have hope. Whom? That's the Lord, personal pronoun. Now look at this. This is us. Having not seen, I've never seen him, but I love him. In whom though now, right now, you see him not, but I believe in him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can still have joy even though I don't see him right now. And at that moment when he comes, receiving, here it is, the end of your faith. The faith journey's over. Right now I'm walking by faith, not by sight. Then it'll be by sight. And the faith journey's over because it will be the salvation of my soul, the ultimate redemption. The broken heart is over. The broken body is over. The broken relationships are over. All of the fractures are over. Jesus has come. He's mended things. And we're home. The fifth thing that will happen in the rapture is living saints will be translated. They're kind of bookends. The first one is that dead saints will be resurrected first. The last one, and all this happens in, in a Thomas and an Adam of a second. The living saints will be translated. Now, I could have used another word for the word translated. Bear with me. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I like the word, and I'll show you why in a moment. All living saints will unite with those believers that have died and gone ahead of them. We will reunite with them in the air. Notice in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that a good verse? Doesn't that bring you comfort? You lost loved ones. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Caught up. Those two words. That's where we get the word rapture. The idea of of rapture. It means to seize. To to take by force if you will. And this will be an an interruption to the world system. They're, They're not going to be able to explain it. How will they explain it? It'll be on CNN. It'll be on Fox. It'll be on every network 24-7 for a long time. Maybe Mr. Musk will come out and say, Well, uh, what has happened is these aliens that we spotted have come and they've captured all of these wild Christians and have given them what they've deserved. Now we can, we can go on without having to put up with their fanaticism and their belief about absolutes. Now, you may, you may mock at that. I remember one of our young men in church told me about three years ago. He's married and has kids now. He grew up in this church. He said, Brother Rick, he said, I remember when I grew up under you. And I remember you saying, there will come a time when I may have to go to jail for preaching the Bible because that homosexual activity is a sin. And he said, I remember as a boy and as a teenager, occasionally when you would say that and say, that's never going to happen. Why is he saying that? And several years ago, he said, Brother Rick, you were right. And it will be some type of a wild idea to be able to explain away what has happened to this. But to the world, it will be interruption. But to us, it will be glory. We'll be caught up. Will be transferred to a new place. Notice how, notice how the word, the same word is used in another place. When Paul, perhaps he died. I think he died. I don't have time to go into it. But notice in 2 Corinthians 12 too, Paul said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell. That means I, I hadn't died. Or whether out of the body I cannot tell. He said, I don't know if I was, if I was having a, a vision or a dream or I had died momentarily he said i don't know but god knows such in one notice these two words caught up those are the same words in first thessalonians four seventeen. he said i was caught up to the third heaven that's the abode of god there's three heavens the first first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly the second heaven is where the planets are where space is the third heaven is the abode of god and then notice in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 12, 4, how that he was caught up into paradise. He describes heaven not only as the third heaven, but paradise. And heard unspeakable words, which it was not lawful for a man to utter. He said, I was caught up. And so the idea of this is I'm, I'm transferred, I'm translated to a new place. I was here, but now I've gone to a new place. Now, what is this new place? It's our home. It's our home. We weren't created for earth. God created us for himself. We're strangers and pilgrims. One day we're going home. Jesus told his disciples there in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. He said, in my father's house, my father's house are many mansions. Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, look at this, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I have this underline, I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may there you may be also. I will come again. I will come again. He's taking me to a new place and it's home. And he promised. He promised. Jesus promised. He said, I will come again. And not only, listen, not only with, will my body be changed and your body be changed, but our entire nature will be changed. And we will see glory 
and our bodies will be filled with the glory of God. And we will be translated. Translated. The definition of the word translate means to move from one place or condition to another. To translate, like you translate a language, but you, you do more than translate a language. You move something from one place or condition to another. The word translate, listen to this, it comes from the Latin word, which means to change from one form to another. God's going to change our form. He's going to change our nature. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, who shall change our vile body, our low body, our broken body, our sick bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to his the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself, to his power. It's going to be like his body, not like Adam's body. It'll be better than Adam's body in the garden. It'll be like Jesus' body. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Like likened to the Son of God into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, to some degree, the Bible says in Psalm 19 that we can see the glory of the heavens. We can see God's glory in things. And we experience the glory of salvation. Sanctification goes from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3 says. And we understand God's glory in a limited sense. And, we, and yet when we see it, we, I'm going to use a word that, that is overused. But it is awesome. I mean, today, I'm not criticizing you, but under, understand it doesn't mean this. Man, I went and that cheeseburger was awesome. No, nah, no, nah, it wasn't awesome. Listen, if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon... You're filled with awe. But that is nothing. That is nothing compared to the person of God and what he has made that has not been stained with sin. It's unbelievable. It is truly awesome. There will be no words in your vocabulary that be fitted. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. A glorious throne, a glorious person. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, look, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. In glory. That's where we're going. The writer said, when all my labors and trials are o'er, And I am safe on that beautiful shore. Just to be near the dear Lord I adore. Will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of His infinite grace. I am accorded in heaven a place. Just to be there and to look on His face. Will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago, and joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior, I know, will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, when by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory for me. Let me just give you the last two thoughts. Number three, what are the implications of the rapture? What does this mean for us? Two things. Number one, it is the beginning of eternity with the Lord Jesus. It is the beginning of eternity. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The Bible says that we will meet him in the air. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering, by our gathering together unto him. Unto him. We will gather unto him. 
The Bible there says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, that we will meet the Lord in the air. The word meet there means to meet an important person like you would meet a king. We will meet the Lord in the air. Have you ever thought about this? The first time that you see Jesus, I mean, what he looks like, how you're going to feel, how humble you're going to be. I've heard people say, I know that there's some some quartet songs that are out there. Well, boy, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to shake hands with Jesus. And, you know, it's got a, got a clever sound. And I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then there's one that, that I'll, I'll fall down and, and cry holy. That's more accurate. I, I cannot imagine the response that your loved ones and my loved ones and friends have had. That have already met the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in heaven when we will see him in his fullness. And then notice what, what will the reunion be like. As, as we see our loved ones. The Bible there says that we will be caught up, verse 17, we'll be caught up together with them. Not just with him, but with them. The people you love. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your children, your best friends. I thought about church members through these over 30 years that I have led their caskets into cemeteries. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 14, Jesus raised a, a boy, a young man actually from the dead. His, his mother was a widow and she was weeping. In Luke seven fourteen, and he came and touched the bier, B-I-E-R. That's what held the body. Today, it holds the casket. Then they didn't have caskets, and they laid the body on a bier. And they that bare him stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Now watch this. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. So here's resurrection power. Now, now I want you to watch the next line. And Jesus delivered him to his mother. He took him to his mother. Now, I can't explain all this, but I'm suggesting to you from the Scriptures, and if God created the world when he spoke it to existence, and the rapture is going to happen in an atom of a second, and these three things are going to happen in a second, and he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. Is he going to, as he delivered him to his mother, are we going to have to seek out our loved ones in the air? Or is he going to introduce us and deliver us to our loved ones in that moment? It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? I don't know, but I like to think about it. What a wonderful day. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the Lord himself. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, he said, I am a straight between two. I'm conflicted between two desires, having a desire to depart. Now look at this, and to be with Christ, to be with Christ, which is far better. It's far better. If you've lost somebody through with Jesus, it's far better. He said it's far better. First implication of the rapture is the beginning of eternity with Jesus. The second one is it brings comfort to us as we face death. It brings comfort to us as we face death. Now, there's some of you, maybe some of you that are younger, you've listened to this and you're drawing pictures, and that's okay. But there are other of us that are that have been in your homes and smell flowers and Looked into the face of someone that we love very much. Or have even been faced with death. And this is very special to us. And we view it, and by the way, it will be to you one day. Right now, it's just not in your wheelhouse. You say, well, Jesus is coming and I want to live my life. And well, one day, one day it will be really, really important to you. And the Bible says in verse 13 that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. 
And he says in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, with the words that, that he's coming again, that you'll see Jesus, which is far better, that you'll see your loved ones again. We'll be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever, forever and ever and ever be with the Lord. The gospel has taken the sting out of death. It's not there anymore. And it brings comfort to us. Do we weep? Yes. But we weep with hope. We have hope. Every day I send a I send a song, a poem, a quote, a scripture to my sister and my brother-in-law and sometimes to my nieces and nephews. Because of what they're going through. Because when people are in the valley, they need hope. And there is no greater hope than that Jesus is coming again. When my blessed mother went to heaven, I was I had just finished a funeral. I got a text from my sister, said, I need you to come to the hospital. The doctor wants to talk, the surgeon wants to talk to you in Haas. This was at 4 o'clock. I didn't know there was a surgeon involved. I went home and I actually had this very suit on. I took it off, threw it off, put on some other clothes. It was snowing hard that day. I got up to the hospital. The nurses said, Haas and I were there together. Are you, are you Mrs. Johnson's sons? Well, yes. We looked, How did they know it was us? You know, They were waiting on us. I'll call the doctor immediately. It was an emergency situation. We went in and talked to her for a few minutes. He came right in. And basically she was bleeding to death. As she sat there in her bed. And if she didn't have surgery in the next six hours, the next four hours, she's going to die. You talk about getting hit hard with something when even though she was 81 years old she was very healthy at least we thought we prayed for we knew the severity of the situation my mother knew the gravity of the situation all of us did after we prayed the nurses came in they prepped her we stood there and there was a heaviness in the room, and they began to take her out. We had already prayed with her for her. Melanie began to pick up her things. They told us where to go. Hoss was gathering some things. I'm the oldest, and there's no responsibility to do this, but I wanted to follow her. When they buried her, I stayed there till they buried her. I don't know why. But I walked out in the hall with her up down towards the elevator. I, I've seen this happen before when people have had surgeries. And, and I, I wanted to pull her back in the room. And I was on the right side of the bed as they began to push her. And we got a place where I couldn't go any further. And she looked over her right shoulder and lifted her right hand and waved at me. And she said these words. She said, goodbye, sweetheart. But she said it more tender than that. Goodbye, sweetheart. Later, I told Paul, I said, she could have said, I'll see you later. She could have said, pray for me. She could have said, Rick, it's going to be okay. But she said, goodbye, sweetheart. I will remember the intonation of those words, not just the verbiage, but the intonation of those words. Did you know that in the 1500s that the word goodbye was not a word? But that when people wanted to bless you when you left, they would say, God be with thee. 
God be with thee. And a man in 1536 wrote a letter to someone else and he contracted the word to someone, as far as they can tell, the first usage of it. And out of that came a farewell greeting for goodbye. Goodbye simply means God be with you, or in old English, God be with thee or ye. My mama didn't know that she was telling me, son, God be with you. I'm going on. God will take care of you. I'll see you later. One day he's coming again. I'll see my mom and dad. I'll see your husbands, your wives, your brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. Some of them I don't know. You'll introduce them to me. Some of you don't know my folks. I'll introduce you to them. Our culture needs some courageous people, not rude people, but courageous people. And courage comes through faith and hope. We have a better world than what we're in. Put your faith in the promises of God. He has saved us from a broken world, a broken heart, broken relationships, and a broken body. He's coming again. Bow your heads with me. Are you ready for the rapture? Do you know him as your Savior? Is there someone here today that say, Preacher, I don't know for sure 100% that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven? I don't know for 100% that if Jesus were to come right now, that I'd be ready. But I'm interested in it. And I feel God speaking to me right now. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I won't call your name. I, I'm, I won't do that. But I would love to pray for you. Ask God to give you a desire to be saved and come to Him before it's too late. Would you let me pray for you? If that's you, 